0: Hello, my name is Jamila Rizvi and this is Anonymous Was a Woman, a Future Women and Penguin podcast. This is a show about books about women, books written for women and about the women who write those books. My co-host is Astrid Edwards from the Garrett podcast and our guest today is Laura Harris from Penguin Books. And after two podcasts on fear and loneliness, we thought you deserved a little bit of light relief. Our theme today is innocence. Astrid, how do you feel about that theme? Are you an innocent person? Oh, now that's a difficult question for me. I feel that this is the perfect
1: topic to actually talk about children's literature both from remembering my love of the books that I read, you know, in primary school and in high school, but also as an adult who sometimes does revisit the classics of my childhood and makes a lot of recommendations. Uh, for the kids in my life.
0: Absolutely. I think one of the things that we often miss when we talk about innocence in books is the joy that we get as adults reading to younger children or reading with younger children. And I know you've got nieces who love to read and who you have a really strong relationship with that is Built in part around books. In part around books, including books about dinosaurs, which
1: I have to say is not my area of expertise.
0: (laughs) When I was a teenager and I used to project forward to a life where I might have a family, reading to children was what I was all about. I was never into the idea of babies. What was the point of reading to a kid who didn't understand what was being read to them? But now that I have a four-year-old who is engaged and turned on and comes alive by reading and being read to and is becoming so dynamically involved in that storytelling process ah like genuinely heartwarming stuff I have a whole lot of questions about the art of children's book writing and also how to choose the best books for children and I'm really excited that we're about to get into that with an expert from Penguin Random House I am absolutely delighted that before we dive deep into some great books for children, exploring those themes of innocence on the page, we are going to have a bit of a chat to a genuine expert. Laura Harris is the publishing director for Young Readers at Penguin Random House Australia, and we are about to pick her enormous brain about all things kids and books. Laura, welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman. Oh,
2: thank you, Astrid and Jamila. Thank you very much. It's a delight. I'm really delighted to be here. Thank you.
0: Now, we all buy books, for our kids or at least I very much hope we do and those of us who are parents try really hard to read to our kids at night or once they're a bit older get them reading as much as they can. I think we all have this sense that it's good for them and it's good for us but why is it good for them?
2: Well it's it's a really good question it's a bit like asking adults why reading is good for them it's actually a very similar idea. C.S. Lewis, who I loved um, as a child and certainly as an adult reader as well, he said, we read to know we're not alone. And I think that that's so key in for children who do not have the experience older uh, adults do, obviously. They're really coming to ideas and story for the first time. Uh, But certainly with, as you asked, very, very young children and starting to read when they're just toddlers and reading aloud to them, It's about language and it's about a very, very sort of fundamental need for story, I think. You know, we all crave stories, whatever our culture, whatever our background. And I find it quite interesting with children's books, one of the reasons they seem to be um, ongoingly quite buoyant in a market um, through through many, many years is because even if you're a non-reader yourself, I think, as you mentioned, every adult still believes there's a good reason to have a, a, to read to a child, and it's entertainment, and it's a sharing experience, and sharing a story with a child you would know as a parent, or whenever you're around children they light up at the fact that you're actually sharing that with them. Readers tend to develop better senses, a quicker sense of empathy. And we understand sympathy. That's quite an easier thing to achieve as a human being. But empathy is something that is a little bit more complex. And it has been proven that the more people read, especially with children, and they're seeing other ways of life on the page, perhaps beyond their own, They start to get what empathy is and develop it and want to have it in themselves. So there's a number of reasons.
1: You've just given a really beautiful description of how parents and adults and even older readers can introduce young children to story and can give them that great gift Mm -hmm. of being able to go into a book. When I think about young readers who have enough literacy to take themselves into a book and to start reading voluntarily, and amusing themselves by going into the world that an author has created. What is it about those books that provides that, that entry into another world for those slightly older but still very young
2: readers? I guess what you're asking, Astra, too, which is a great question, is, you know, how do, why is it the children differentiate and what do they pick and get drawn to? And really the answer there, I think, oh I believe, is the same fundamentals as you would have in any form of art. There is an expertise to the storytelling, it's appropriate language, it's a sense of adventure, it's a sense of familiar or or, or it is about their their interest level. So I think one of the trickiest things educators or parents, um, you know, are faced with when it comes to readings, whether they have a good reader or a reluctant reader, the most important thing is trying to match the interest because if you do, and a child, as you described, goes into it by themselves, you're going to get them to develop a love of reading. They're not going to see it as a chore. It's relevant to them. And I think when we push children to read certain things and it doesn't feel relevant, they kind of back off. I mean, we all do it ourselves. The same thing applies to children. There was this fantastic piece of data. I, I wish I could um, quantify it, back. it said that the average adult reader will give a book 60 pages to and keep reading into 60 pages to see if, if it's for them or they like it or their interest has been piqued, the child will give a book six pages and then they're done. So it's a really good reminder when you're working either creating kids books or watching your child read, if you're sitting with them at page 10, they're yawning or kind of looking over their shoulder or, you know, wanting the next episode of Bluey, then Let it
0: go. Laura, there is so much I want to unpick and unpack in what you've just said, but I'm conscious our time is so limited. There are a couple of things that absolutely struck me there. The first one is as a person who is trying to write for children, the fact that I've got to get them in six pages is terrifying because that sounds very hard. (laughs) Um, And then the second one is how much, as you were speaking, You weren't necessarily encouraging us to read the literary best of type books. And I remember as a kid, my mum saying to me, you have to read some trash or else how would you know something else is good? And she was happy for me to sit there and I, I don't like naming names when I'm talking trash, but devour a certain book series about young girls who babysat that there were like 150 of that I don't think were perhaps, you know, the greatest contribution to the canon of all time. But it was important for me to read them. And if I was reading, that was a good thing. Now, Laura, I want to ask you about adult enjoyment of fiction, particularly for really young readers. Because one thing I'm noticing more and more as I read to my four-year-old son is I feel like the books I'm reading are also being written for me. They are being written with the assumption that there is an adult storyteller involved. Can you tell us a little bit about that kind of trick of the
2: trade it's a it's a really good point Jamila and it is a bit of a trick in the trade in the same way that you know children's television or children's films have another element running through them because they know an, uh, an adult is going to be with them and they want to encourage that and get you there and, and, and a writer for children wants that too when you're sharing stories I think one of one of the keys there is that it's really the, the author is trying to make sure that the the enjoyment is, is being shared obviously and that you as an adult don't move on. But I think one of the key things and it's a really fundamental difference I think between writing for children and adults is children's books are written to be reread. And that's from picture books right through even young adult books, you know, and and if we think about our own reading um, as children, there are many things we've reread, you know, people reread Charlotte's Web, you know, the Roald Dahl books are are left there and you reread them. It's why Roald Dahl's a fantastic example. I don't know an adult that doesn't find pleasure in reading that with their children again and again.
0: I love that you mentioned Roald Dahl because I have been looking forward to reading Roald Dahl to my son since the day I found out I was pregnant. Like I have been counting down to Roald Dahl and JK Rowling and we've just finished Fantastic Mr Fox and we're deep in the twits. It is bringing me more joy than I think it did when I read it the first time as a child. There is is so much beauty in it Astrid I have stolen your question
1: you have stolen my question I would like to say that I too love Roald Dahl and it was The Witches and Matilda for me but Laura I'm interested in those children the precocious children who maybe find themselves quite good at reading when they start to mm-hmm. hunt around for books that maybe you know are a bit older for them or even adult books as I did as quite a young kid what are your thoughts on children reading out of the kids section
2: I'm all for it. You know, if, if that's where a, a child's experience and the things they're interested in, and I think that we should we should make sure that that's available to them. You know, the, there's a whole sort of young adult movement about books written particularly for teenagers, and we call it young adult, but you would remember as well, and, and I've got it with the Year 10 Kid now, we as teenagers, you know, we read To Kill a Mockingbird, and I'm so glad that we did. You know, it's one of those seminal books. There's, And even though it's about children, which is quite an interesting other topic, it's about children, but it is an adult book with very adult themes in it. I think we should encourage it. And as I said, I think the key is to, if you can help as an adult, the child around you that that wants that kind of reading, find out their interests, what else they liked, and try and get things that are... Not, not exactly the same, I'm not suggesting they just do series, well, though a lot of children do, a lot of adults do as well, but something of the same nature or the same author perhaps, you know, I, I think it's a really good thing uh, for, for children. I don't think we should categorise only young adult in the same way that frankly if we really thought that it was only teenagers reading Twilight, it wouldn't have been the success it was. There's a lot of ladies in their 30s who, who really fell in love with that series of books.
1: That is so true and I'm so glad that you said that, letting children, when they have developed that interest in going into books, letting it take them where it takes them.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's really important and um, yeah, I, I, I think again, it goes back to if you want to instill a love of reading in a child ongoing, then it has to feel that it's relevant to them and children develop in very different ways in terms of maturity, in terms of language skill. And as an adult around them, it's our job to, to help them with where they're up to. And likewise, I feel really strongly if a 15-year-old wants to be reading Matilda, we should also let, let them do that and enjoy it for the subversiveness and the humour and the the cheekiness of it.
0: Laura, thank you so much for your insights and your wisdom on this subject. I am so drawn to this idea of kind of recapturing my innocence as an adult by reading with my son, but also reading teen fiction again and getting carried away with falling in love for the first time. And also the fact that you are giving us permission to help our kids grow up through books and whatever they're ready for introducing those themes can be really helpful thank you so much for your time today thank you I can barely contain my excitement that the series of books we're about to discuss is the Bluey Books, which are published by Penguin Random House based on the television series of the same name, made here in Australia, made in Brisbane, Vegas, in fact, uh, a TV show originally about a six-year-old blue healer and her sister and her mum and dad. It is the most wholesome thing you will ever read or come across. It is also the most Aussie thing, but it has gone global. The TV show has actually won itself an Emmy this year and the television show has been converted into a series of activity books, but also storybooks for young readers.
1: Jamila, that is the most impressive outcome for any work in Australian arts, but I have to admit, I have never read or interacted with any of the bluey universe now that I have confessed my complete and utter ignorance to Bluey, tell me why your son, who's four, utterly, utterly adores this world.
0: I want to address up front the fact that this is a bit of an unusual series of books because usually what we see is that books are turned into television or books become films. But in this case, we've actually got a television show being converted into book form. And I, I think that's rather unusual firstly and I I have been really impressed how the creators of this television show which relies so much on what we see visually have been able to shift into a new medium and keep this delightful series and storytelling method alive in a new form. But I do think in our chat today, I'm probably going to uh, jump between the two a little bit because the world of Bluey is so all-encompassing in my house that it all kind of merges in together.
1: <laughs> now, Jam, you are an adult and you have a great deal of uh, engagement and love for what your child is reading. And I have actually seen you publish articles from your view as a parent
0: about – Bluey and what it now actually means to you as a parent. This series does what we just discussed with the wonderful Laura that I think is so clever about more and more children's book and television series which is they speak to the child and the adult simultaneously. So for my four-year-old Bluey is entirely about him and his world. Bluey is six years old and her sister Bingo uh, is four so it's bang on his demographic. They are talking to him. They are talking like him. Sometimes I cannot even quite figure out what he has picked up that is language Bluey uses in the books or on television and what is his language that has just somehow appeared uh, on our television screens or in the pages of those beautiful books. So I think the series really speaks to him at his level. It is unashamedly about that make-believe world that a four or five-year-old is still moving in and out of where they don't quite know what's real and what's imaginary and that there's a real joy and delight in that. And it's incredibly relatable. That's the most, I'm going to swear, it's the most basic bitch term, but it's really relatable. This family go through what ordinary families do. There's one installment of the Bluey series which I cannot wait to be made into a book where dad is quite clearly hung over and he wants to play a game where he lies on the couch and so the kids invent doctor and I have had that feeling as a parent and Ruffy has had that experience as a child where mum or dad just doesn't really have the energy to play in the way we might like to. One of the first releases in the book series is about the beach and it begins with mum, chili going off for a walk on the beach Alone, and the kid's not understanding why that's fun. So I think there's some really lovely dual messaging going on in a story like that. Firstly, it shows the importance of a parent having time alone and a parent's imagination and a parent wanting to exist outside their children and communicates that to kids in a really smart way but also taps into that adult need for space. And, of course, Bluey goes off on an adventure trying to catch up with her mum and walk in her mum's sandy footsteps. It's just a bit too beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jem, I have to admit of my own, I don't know, deeply ingrained
1: gender bias, I had assumed that Bluey was going to be a little boy. And I am really excited to finally figure out, and I understand that I'm very late to this party, but to finally figure out that Bluey is a girl.
0: I don't think you were actually late to the party because most people were a bit late the first few episodes of the television series, Bluey's gender wasn't mentioned. It just wasn't the point of the story. And the same with her little sister, Bingo. I think it took five or six episodes for them to mention it as a passing point. And in the books that I've read so far, again, it's just not a big deal. It's mentioned in terms of character development, but there's not a lot that's specifically about The experience of being female. This is a book that is about kids who are under the age of six. Not kids, dogs. Dogs who are under the age of of six. So, you know, whether they're a girl or a boy shouldn't matter that much. And, What I really enjoy is the absence of gendered fun and gendered game playing and gendered role playing because so much of the Bluer universe is about kids and parents playing together, everyone playing different roles, a lot of make-believe stuff that doesn't involve a ton of specific toys but is instead about what you've got around the house and whether or not you're a girl or boy doesn't matter. They play male and female roles in their little games and it just... It isn't a big deal. That's a great insight into the bluey universe, you know, the
1: books and the TV shows and the writing workbooks. You're obviously recommending the bluey universe in terms of, you know, the lack of gender stereotyping and the freedom that that gives kids. They can just engage with the world as opposed to, you know, feel
0: like they have to play a role. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, it's actually even more than that, though. As I listen to you talk about the kids who I focused on so far, it's also about the parents. While the kids are free to explore their identity as individuals regardless of what gender they are, the parents also push back against gender stereotypes in quite a big way. The parent who is more of the leader on the home front, who is more involved in dropping the kids off, caring for the kids uh, and parenting in that kind of fun, play-based, imaginative way, is the dad, Bandit. He's a really hands-on bloke who has a real emotional maturity I think uh, when it comes to teaching his kids through play and it's not always mum saving the day by being the sensible one. There's a little bit of play into that sometimes and mum is certainly a glorious parent to those kids as well but I think these characters are thoroughly modern. They are modern parents who are doing this in an equal way and that really appeals to me. I think that relatability and the fact that it really taps into Australia as it is and modern Australia is so nice. There are such glorious examples of children's books set in Australia's past and it's exciting to have one that is so very of the moment uh, and feels so much like my
1: own life. And this series is so much of the moment, I believe we're going to get a recommendation from Rafi
0: himself. Yes, I felt like it was important for us to have an age-appropriate recommendation as well. My favourite thing about Bluey is that I think the mum and the dad are really good fun because they play lots of games with the kids and those games are very silly. What's your favourite thing about Bluey?
3: Well, when the day, the the Bluey episode that I really like is Escape. Why is that so good? Because I like the drawing that they do on on that... Line paper. And do you have any bluey books? Yes, I've got uh, Bob Bilby and I have Beach and Fruit Bat. What happens in Bob Bilby? Ah, uh, d- d- the there are bingos at her school and uh, she she gets to go gets a go of the bilby after one of the kids. Oh, the bilby's a toy. She gets to take him home. Yeah. And then what happens
0: when she takes him home?
3: The day... uh, First uh, it was just video games and it was only them just playing video games. And then it got more funner. So, then... the, the, The... they did the siren on, on one of the dad's friends on, on a fire truck. the siren. It was so loud. That would be cool. Would yeah. you like to do the siren on a fire truck? Yes. And guess what? What even I, even the other bit of that story was they watched fireworks, they went to the park.
0: And do you think they did more fun things later because they weren't watching TV and playing computers?
3: Yeah, it was very fun. Yeah. And do you think it's good to watch
0: TV and play computers and be on the iPad all day? No way. No way. got to go outside and yeah. get ice cream and go bike riding, hey?
3: Yep. And what do you like about the beach book? The beach book. Ah uh, when when Bluey says, "Mum, why do you like walking by yourself?" Uh, uh, and the mum said, "Ah uh, ah uh, I don't know there's just too many questions."
0: Yeah,
3: it's a nice thoughtful book, isn't it that yeah. one? It's about imagination.
0: Who is your favorite character on Bluey? All of them. All of them.
1: Jamila, I am so excited to be introducing you to Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials Trilogy today. These books were published in the 90s, but I think that they're actually timeless. I think that they are already starting to and will continue to take their place next to Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and C.S. Lewis's Narnia Chronicles. These will be with us for a very long time. So the books are Northern Lights, The Subtle Knife and The Amber Spyglass. I think that this this trilogy is one of the greatest coming-of-age stories that I have read. Although I read them first uh, when I was much younger, I actually reread this trilogy every couple of years and as an adult I every single time I cry in book three at a particular moment. So while I recommend these books for, you know, kids kind of 12 plus, this is for everyone.
0: Can I ask Astrid, we've just spoken about the Bluey books, which are unashamedly about and for children in that time of great innocence, right? You're now taking us into a series that is about coming of age. So to an extent about the loss of innocence and that process of loss, but you're saying that it works for adults who, you know, are through that process of the loss of childhood innocence. Why is it uh, that adults love reading young adult fiction and particularly a series like this? Why is it so appealing to us once we've done that growing up? To be clear, I think this series is exceptional
1: on every count and it is just beautiful literature. But to answer your question more specifically, we all remember what it was like to be a kid. We remember the fun and the endless summer and the, the friendships that felt like they would last forever and just the joy of, I don't know, having an icy pole on a summer's day or something, right? But also we remember the loss of that and we remember the teenage years. And even if you had a great time as a teenager or not so much, you remember what it felt like. And now you know what it's like to be an adult and that has some ups, but it also has some downs. And I think that it's always beautiful to be taken back into a place where childhood still matters. And that's what Philip Pullman does in this trilogy. And it's very much a trilogy about innocence, but it's not just innocence. It's actually um, the stated purpose is original sin and fall from grace and the loss of innocence and, most importantly, the gaining of knowledge once you lose innocence, which is you know the metaphor for moving out of childhood and becoming an adult. Now, one of Pullman's key influences, and I can't believe I'm going here, but you know Pullman went there and so I'm going there now too, One of pullman's key influences is john milton's paradise lost the 17th century epic poem which is you know regarded by some as the english language equivalent of you know the ancient greek iliad and odyssey or the latin aeneid now paradise lost is partly famous because john milton made the character of satan way more interesting than the character of god and that was wildly controversial at the time and it's obviously still controversial and that kind of fed into the fact that the Catholic Church really didn't like this trilogy. There was a lot of pushback uh, and it was called anti-religious, etc., etc. And I should note that some parts of the Christian faith supported this book, including the Anglican Church uh, and the Archbishop of Canterbury saying that what Philip Pullman explores is that idea of not following the rules for the rules sake, but really exploring free will and the choice of faith and the choice of believing.
0: And they're all choices that you get to make as an adult. Talk to me about characters. Who are we becoming invested in? Who are we falling in love with? Who do we care about in this series?
1: We care about Lyra Silvertongue, often known as Lyra Balakwa. Now she is the main character. She is 11 going on 12. uh, And she's in a way very reminiscent of Scout from To Kill a Mockingbird for that plucky upstart rebellious uh, young girl. Now, she is from a different world to us. And this is a world where people's souls actually appear as animal demons outside their body. And those animals, those souls follow them around wherever you go. So it's like you have a constant companion. Astrid, that is terrifying. No, no, no. These little demon souls are the most beautiful things. And you just want to, you know,
0: I mourn the fact that I don't have a soul outside of my body that I can talk to all of the time. Put that on a t-shirt. The demon souls are beautiful. Astrid Edwards, 2020. I feel like you are
1: mocking me, Jamila, but I am going to continue because I feel so strongly about this trilogy. Now, Lyra, our heroine, is joined on her adventures by Will. Uh, and Will is a boy from our world and he does not have a demon outside his body. And this makes him quite sad. And I would like to tell all the adults listening that he does find a demon and they become best friends.
0: I think I'm going to have to read it. I think, it's, I think it's like, you know, when they say you have to be that you have to have been there to have found the story. Uh, funny I think I need to be there to understand the demon soul and the desire to have a demon soul and to be jealous of people who don't have a demon soul (laughs) Jamila I don't know if you deserve a demon soul at this point and I'm going (laughs) to continue now
1: you're still laughing at me but these and these I recognize are big topics to give a child but I also think that the trilogy explores all those fundamental parts of figuring out what it means to be, you know, a vaguely decent human that we tr- all try to figure out as teenagers. And so, you know, he explores the bonds of friendship, the disappointment in adults and adulthood, what happens at puberty, and also realizing that not all adults or not all organizations or not all of the rules that you've been taught as a kid are actually relevant or matter or true. And that's a really big part of what we all go through when we, you know, grow up and lose our innocence essentially and try to figure out how to make it in the world. Now that's the trilogy and I should say that uh, Americans love to rename books and the first book is called The Golden Compass and The Golden Compass was turned into a movie with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. It was a terrible movie. I apologise to everybody who watched it. However, in good news, Jamila, and maybe this is your entree into the series, HBO combined with BBC has just released the first series. It's only eight episodes, and it's amazing. And it happens to star James McAvoy. And I recommend.
0: All right, I am absolutely convinced. Anything else from this author that I should be looking out for once I get past the Demon Souls? Oh, absolutely. I really could go
1: on about this for all for the entire episode. However, uh, the original trilogy written in the '90s has actually been followed up by two, which will ultimately become three of a subsequent series called The Book of Dust and that's Belle Savage and The Secret Commonwealth. I was really cynical and I thought how can an author come back 20 years later and make it as good as it was and Pullman did it. So all I can say is get on board Jamila. All
0: right you have convinced me I will give it a go. I might need uh, the entree of the television series I think and I apologize for giggling. I just think it is extremely astrid to bring a series about demon souls to the episode on innocence. (laughs) Astrid, it is recommendations time. And given that we're talking about innocence today and mostly focusing on books for children, I'm going to suggest that we start at the youngest end and work our way through the age groups. How does that sound? Perfect. Perfect. Astrid, we are going to begin with the book that I have read at least 5,000 times and it's called Where is the Green Sheep by Mem Fox, illustrated by the wonderful Judy Horacek too. Astrid, are you familiar with Where is the Green Sheep? I confess, I am not. Well, warning to everyone: I am going to spoil uh, this for you. The green sheep is behind a bush, fast asleep. Uh, There are many other sheep's who we come sheep, sheep eye, sheep's who we come across uh, throughout the book of various colors, of various actions, of various persuasions. It's fascinating read. Fascinating read. I am. Being deeply sarcastic because I read it too many times, but I cannot tell you how appealing this book is to small children. It is utterly engaging. The discussion of your favourite sheep on every page is an intense one. uh, As children start to find their language, it has beautiful rhythm and repetition. And it truly is a hell of a kid's book and a great gift to someone with a newborn baby. Well, there you go. You have sold me. Where is the green sheep? Although... I have no need for it. (laughs) And you know where the green sheep is now, so you don't need to worry. I'm going to race on through. So getting a little bit older, around the age of three or four, uh, my son completely fell in love with All the Ways to Be Smart by Davina Bell. And if you're someone who's looking for a gift for a small child, particularly around that three, four age group, but I think uh, as young as two and probably as old as five, it would work as well. This is just a glorious book. It is stunning in terms of its illustration and the message is a really strong one and one we want for all our kids. In the book it goes through with a really lovely cadence and rhyme uh, the different ways that we can be smart. It talks about how smart goes beyond numbers and letters and remembering things and that smart can be being kind when someone is feeling uncomfortable, that being smart can involve art and being good at drawing or loving painting or being good at sport. Uh, It really explores the whole range of different human intelligences in language that a little kid can understand and feel familiar with. That sounds brilliant, Jamila. And now I am going to jump up a few years with the
1: recommendation of A Wrinkle in Time by Madeleine Langle. Now this was first published in 1962. And it is in this novel, we follow Meg and Charles, a brother and sister, along with their friend, Calvin. And they go on an adventure through space and time to save their dad. Now this is a story of good versus evil, light versus dark, and the, the power of individual thinking and purpose. And of course, even though it was written in the sixties, in 2018, it was given an update by director Ava DuVernay, uh, along with Oprah, Mindy Kaling and Reese Witherspoon. For again, slightly older readers, I want to recommend Isabel Carmody's The Ober Newton series. Now I first read the first book in this seven part series in 1993 when it was published and interestingly as an adult i stayed with the series and read the final the red queen which was published in 2017. now it took comedy that long to finish the seven books and there's a female heroine and the female heroine leads everybody she is a leader and she leads a group originally called the misfits through extreme circumstances and adventure and you know i loved it as a kid and i Came back to it as, a, as an adult because who doesn't love a good heroine? And my final recommendation is a much more recent series started by Jessica Townsend. It's The Chronicles of Morgan Crow, another exceptional female hero. Morgan Crow is a plucky middle grader and she has a male sidekick, the dragon riding Hawthorne, uh, and together they are set to take on the scariest wizard in the world. Uh, The first one was Nevermore, the second one was Wondersmith and the third book in the series, Holopox, is coming out this year and I really can't wait.
0: Astrid, they are some stellar recommendations. I actually read the first of the Townsend Chronicles on your request and I really enjoyed myself, I have to say. I felt like a little kid again, discovering something new. And I was also an enormous fan of A Wrinkle in Time during childhood. Now, because he is clearly our most popular guest ever, sorry to all the award-winning authors we've had on the show, I'm going to grab Ruffy back again for one final recommendation. Why do you love the books by Roald Dahl?
3: Because I like The Magic Finger and... Mr Fox and the Twits. And what happens in the Twits? The Twits, they do lots of bad tricks.
0: Are they bad guys? Yep. What does Mr Twit do to Mrs Twit's walking stick?
3: Put uh, some, like, little wood bits on the bottom of it and her chair. To, to, uh, and, like, Mrs., Mr Twit's saying to Mr Twit you're shrinking and you need to stretch but she's not. It sounds really mean. Is it a mean book? Is it a sad book? Yeah. Is it? Mean
0: book. Did you feel sad when you read it or did you laugh? I laughed. (laughs) Did you laugh lots and lots?
3: Yep and I can't even stop laughing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And what was your favourite part of Fantastic Mr Fox?
3: Well... When they stole the food. Who stole the food? Mr Fox. Oh, and why did he steal the food? Because they have nothing to eat in there. So they steal the bits, some of the bits from their farm. Where did they steal the food from? So they went into the house and Mr Twit was just too clever for the the farmers. You mean Mr Fox? Yeah.
0: Now, can you tell me who do you think should read Fantastic Mr. Fox and the
3: Twits? Hmm. Maybe Ben H. Oh, and yeah? He's one of my friends. Who else would like them? Maybe
0: Ayan. I'm sure Ayan would also like them. Do you think most kids would like
3: those books? I think they would.
0: What kind of age do you think kids would be who would like those books?
3: Maybe like four six five that sounds pretty good to me
0: Astrid, it has been such a joy going back to childhood with you today. And to all of you listening, I hope you've enjoyed this exploration of innocence. And I hope you are loving Anonymous Was a Woman. We are actually coming up to the final installment of season one, and we cannot wait to share it with you. Next week, we will be talking all about triumph with one of my favorite authors ever. No, no, I'm not telling you. I'm holding it back. I'm holding it back. But let's just say, like, I basically lost it when she came on screen. It was so exciting to be able to interview an author of such stature and whose work I have enjoyed for so many years. friends, tune in for that one very soon. And in the meantime, if you could rate and review Anonymous Was A Woman in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, that would mean the world to us. And it will make sure that you do not miss that final episode. Bye.